as we've grown, you know, a, a couple things early on that that's, have really paid off now. Um, I had this this wild, crazy idea. It's going to shock you. I can see you're sitting down, so that's that's good. What if we grew a management company where people wanted to work there? What if we had a maintenance a maintenance department where where maintenance folks were knocking on our door to work alongside us because of the way we treat them, the culture we build. And luckily, I had um, some people come in early on, uh, Jerry and Emily, that really took that baton and, and ran with it. You know, I still don't know how I sold them on the dream sometimes, but luckily I was I was in the zone that day uh, and they believed in the vision. And those those folks have continued to grow with us and, and help execute that vision. Because again, I can't do it myself. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Ivan Barrett today. Today, you're going to learn how to design a culture that continues to compound and grow and to design an organization and a company in a real estate empire that lives beyond you, that makes impact beyond your input. And it creates so much opportunity for so many people. And I'm going to challenge you to take a moment and consider how can you think bigger today? How can you ask bigger questions today? I want you to think about what it could be for you to go to your highest potential and exceed beyond the potential that you've ever considered for yourself. That's what you're going to find in today's episode. Today's episode is so, so good. Elevate podcast, by the way, just as a reminder, is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. Today is absolutely all of those categories. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. Let me tell you, the bar is going very high today, and you're going to find the capabilities that are within you that you didn't even realize. So when you start to employ some of the thought process that we talk about in today's episode, you're going to find that there's a new level for you and there is no finish line. And I think you're gonna love this conversation. Before we dive in, I wanna ask you to pay the fee. The fee is to pay it forward and share this episode with one person, that's it. Even if you've done that in the past, I just wanna thank you so much for doing that. The only way that we can continue to grow is through your personal introductions, your personal referrals. It means the world to me, it means the world to us. And we don't ask you to pay anything to listen to this podcast. You know, we, we're grateful for your time and your attention because you know what, that is scarce and it is a, it's a scarce resource. But at the end of the day, we care about you. And we ask that you pay it forward by sharing this episode with a friend and perhaps someone, you know, maybe that you just met or maybe someone that you've known for a very, very long time. Share this episode with them and also give us a rating or review or subscribe uh, to Elevate Podcasts and wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts, because we are going to continue to bring massive value. Today's really is such a good conversation and something that I think you're going to find tremendous value from. So with that said, I want to introduce you to Ivan Barrett, who is a multifamily owner, manager, and syndicator who specializes in large apartment communities in the Midwest. Since 2015, Ivan Barrett has raised nearly $400 million in equity, acquired over 6,300 units, and acquired 
over $1 billion in assets under management. His company, the BAM Companies, has grown to a best-in-class five-time Inc. 5,000, close to six. It's probably going to happen this year, it sounds like, uh, six-time. And it is a private equity and management firm. Today, Ivan focuses his time on equity finance, acquisitions, and company strategy. So without further ado, please enjoy this outstanding discussion with Ivan Barrett. Ivan Barrett, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you doing? Tyler, it is so good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Happy Friday here, uh, April whatever day it is, April 14th. Absolutely, man. It is, you know, it's funny. I always feel that there's a Friday energy like you and I, I feel like we probably share this to a large degree. We love our work, but there's something about a Friday, no matter what. I mean, no matter what stage of your life, there's something enjoyable about a Friday morning. So I'm excited to share that with you. And I'm excited to introduce you to Elevate Nation. And you and I have known each other for a few years now. And, you know, of course, we're right up the road from each other and uh, obviously have a lot in common and, and many differences as well. But I'm excited to introduce you to Elevate Nation. So why don't you talk a little bit about yourself and maybe talk about your background, your upbringing and so forth, and, and try to do your best there to uh, to bring us up to speed on who Ivan Barrett is. Yeah, happy to do it. You know, um, you, you look at our company today, 130 some employees, we've done over a billion in transactions, raised almost 400 million in equity, and uh, haven't done that co-sponsoring uh, deals. I've done it basically with my business partner and, and growing a, a network of high net worth and ultra high net worth investors. I get to have a lot of fun. Life looks pretty pretty darn good most of the time. But that all started with a duplex. House hacking a duplex, man. And going through 2008, uh, be, it, be it overweight, be it negative net worth, really questioning. <laughs> a lot about life. And there's, you know, there's just a whole, a whole journey there from starting from the bottom to to where we're at now. So, you know, way back, um, I'm lucky. My my dad is an attorney and he had rental properties uh growing up. Uh, and he would force my brother and I to be his landscaping arm like mm-hmm. all spring and summer, waking us up to mow yards, pull weeds, rake leaves in the fall. I mean, utter, utter hell for a, a literally like I'm like seven years old when this started. And you know, but it but it did a few things. It it uh it provided a disdain for for manual labor. You know, I said, oh, heck no, I'm I'm getting educated, I'm I'm not gonna be doing this the rest of my life. It, it planted a seed. I didn't know it at the time, but it planted a seed for income property. And in 1996, I graduated high school. That was the same year Rich Dad, Poor Dad came out. He gave me that book, the audio version, because my dad was into audio books before, uh, before they were downloadable. They were on tape back then. This is before CDs even. I always knew that I wanted to, uh, to, to be an entrepreneur, to sort of march to the beat of my own drum. Real estate seemed like a, a great idea, right? Why not just own a lot of rental properties? Uh, watch the rent checks come in and 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 do whatever I I wanted to do. Of course, turns out it's a real job. 2008 nine was was a really rough time. I'd been in real estate for almost 10 years at that point, working for my mentor in the development game. Thought I was pretty hot stuff. Thought I knew everything. Thought I knew real estate. Uh, turns out I was a, what I would call a real estate cowboy. I was low man on the totem pole. And so when we would develop and sell things, I would get a, a, a fee. I was, I was an unpaid person. I got my foot in the door with him saying, I want to work to 
learn. Uh, I'll work for free. Um, and of course, he took care of me and would, and would pay me when I was able to sell land and, and condominiums and other developments that he was doing. And of course, you know, adding that all up um, and I was going to be a millionaire. And then 2008 hits and, and all those deals uh, literally go poof. He was fine. He was a very conservative guy. Didn't make a lot of money in those years. But I find myself, you know, negative cash flow and negative net worth because I had built this, this lifestyle basically, you know, on the on the come that that these uh, these deals would all come to fruition and I would make all this money and uh, you know I was on Easy Street and at the same time I'm trying to convince my my wife now of uh, gosh. It's like 13, 14 years now. My wife, three kids. I'm trying to convince her that I'm a, I'm a good prospect. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget, man. She's like, hey, you're about 200 grand in debt. We're negative $5,000 a month in cash flow. Would you marry me if that was my situation? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I answered honestly. I'm like, gosh, you know, I, I don't think so. But here's how we're going to get out of it. We ended up moving out of uh, a very expensive condo that I couldn't afford uh, back into that duplex that I had bought. We squeezed out of 2,000 square feet into a little over 700 square feet, buying shoes at Walmart. And at the very bottom, um, I would drive 45 minutes from my house to deliver pizzas in a town where I prayed no one would recognize me. Now, that was a very humbling experience. That was the bottom of the barrel. And that that was a lot of humble pie. And that's when I realized, you know, I, I wanted to stay in real estate. And that's when I realized that I would have to do what I hate to get to do what I love. And that's when we started property management, serving other investors uh, by managing their tenants and their toilets. Wow. What an amazing background story. I always, sometimes I always flinch when I ask that question because I'm like, I kind of feel like I'm putting this, uh, this guest in a bit of a challenging position to be able to describe their, their background and upbringing because, you know, there's a lot to pack in there, but I think you just painted a very, very clear picture about your journey in real estate and, and really how you got there, which I think is amazing. And, you know, there's so much to unpack, but one of the things that you were telling me about and you really shared within the story is that rock bottom that you experienced in the great financial crisis, which kind of required you to pivot because you wanted to, you know, not only attract the woman of your dreams to become your wife, but you also had this desire. And it was almost this burning desire that you knew real estate was a path, even though you had gotten knocked back on your heels, you were still committed to the outcome of designing this life through real estate. And so was it the first real sort of pivot foray? Was it to downsize into that house hack duplex? Is that what it was? Well, you know, we had to, we had to get out of debt. Um, and, and we, you know, we had a condo that we just couldn't afford to stay in. And I remember renting that condo out at the time, let's see, 2000 square foot, very nice condo. It was one of the developments we did. And I bought the most expensive condo in there, right? And put every upgrade into it because it was just going to keep going up from there. And so we, we had to move out and rent it. And I'll never forget for the first year or two, every month that nothing went wrong, we only owed another $600 uh, to keep that thing going because we couldn't sell it. I would have, I, I didn't have the money to uh, to come to closing to write a check to sell it. And so we had to start digging ourselves out. So we buying shoes at Walmart, doing any kind of real estate deal I can get my hands on, a little bit of brokerage, helping investors buy property, sold some land for some folks, using those real estate skills that I learned to get some brokerage commissions coming in the door 
or even helping people buy their, their first home. And at the same time, I was starting to grow this little management business, uh, onesie, twosie deals at a time. And also, you know, looking for my own real estate deals with hard money. But as you know, our real estate's capital intensive. I could go out and search for properties and do a burr, duplex, triplex, even did a, a six unit, right? But that would take a lot of time and a lot of energy. I could convince Tyler, who owns, you know, from California, who owns two single family homes or a couple of duplexes or a homeowner that can't move their home because nobody was buying homes at the time and they were renting them out. If I could help them manage their property, that was an additional $100, $200 of cash flow a month to my little business. So I could scale that much quicker. And I had this theory that if I could figure out the management game, then that would be my bridge to doing bigger deals. And so I got out of my own way and I said, I'm going to stop dreaming about doing these big apartment deals. And I'm just going to go find the next deal. No matter how big it is, the ones I was buying, as, as long as they were multifamily, which meant two units or more, and I would manage anything I could get my hands on where I didn't have to carry a gun. So I, I really started off managing A and B properties in areas where I knew I could attract residents that had good credit because I knew if I, I, knew if I had residents that cared about their credit, it would be easier to collect rents and, and that sort of thing. And that's that's how I started, man. It was a one-man show up, up until I had, I had a bookkeeper that would come in because I didn't want to screw that up, but I was a one-man show for my first 70 or so uh, doors, which were scattered all over the north side of Indianapolis. That's a heck of an accomplishment. I mean, anybody who's listening who understands the nuances of property management knows that whether it's seven doors or 70, I mean, being a one-man show is unbelievable. It was a grind, man. The first deal I ever purchased was eight units, and it was overwhelming that I was self-managing. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was always almost all consuming. And now the fact that you had the foresight to manage only A and B properties, I'm sure helped. But you know, from there from zero to 70, it was just you. So then from there, I mean, what propelled you to kind of get larger and scale? Was it just natural and compounding sort of those relationships? Or what happened? Well, I, I always wanted the the B quadrant business as rich dad, you know, Robert Kiyosaki defined it, I wanted to grow a business that I could literally walk away from and it would get bigger in my absence, right? And so I always had this vision of this of this big company. Um, so at times I would try to, to ask myself and then I would ask my team as the team grew, you know, what would a big company do? Guys, we're not a small business. We're not a we're not a little a little business. We are a big company that just today happens to be small. And then that other thing I was talking about with you before we hit the record button, there's been all these punctuated points in, in this journey where I've had to remember what got me here won't get me there, won't get me to that next stage. It's gotten me here, but what do I need to do differently? What do I need to add? Who do I need to add? What do I need to cut out, which is even more important in a lot of cases, to get from this from this plateau that I've gotten to the next level. So that is huge. And the fact that you asked that question, what would a big company do even early on is really fascinating and not one that I've heard very often, if in fact, maybe ever. So I love that you brought that up. And the question that you were asking yourself in your company when you had, you know, maybe you brought on your first person, then you had two or three other people and you were asking that question and really operating in the identity of a larger company. What did that help you do? I mean, it seems like it helped you build a team, right? Because you were focused on designing systems and personnel and resources. What else did that question get you at that point in time? Well, it a couple things so that come to mind. It, it made it easier to realize that growing a team of people, managing, leading, hiring, 
firing, hiring, firing over and over again. It was this realization that that was going to be really freaking hard, harder in many ways than the real estate itself. But in order to grow a big company, I've got to do that, right? There's no way to, to grow this kind of company without doing that, right? And how are you ever going to have a big business that you can walk away from if you don't figure out the people thing? For me, it's it's a fire ready aim kind of thing. Hey, I'm just going to start doing this and I'm going to learn as I go. I'm not going to sit back and try to figure out how to be the best at hiring people. I'm just going to start tinkering, experimenting and making it work. And I've got so many more stories around around people that I hired, but a few golden, you know, golden gooses, golden geese. A few great people came out of that. I've got one guy that's been with me now since straight out of college. And he didn't have any experience, but Ryan comes to me and you know he's got a resume. I haven't even looked at it yet. I'm like, what'd you do this summer? He goes, well, I was the house manager at my fraternity and I had to move all these guys out of their rooms over the summer so that we could renovate the frat house. And I, I had to you know, herd all these cats. And I'm like, shh, say no more. <laughs> Good experience. Right? <laughs> Right. And I think I think he just celebrated his seventh or eighth year with me now. Um, and he's continued to grow with the company. You know, the other thing about, you know, what got me here won't get me there. Asking myself, what would a big company do is it really informs you. Right. So when you start getting more revenue in the door in your in your opco, your operating company, it's not OK. I'm going to go put that in my pocket. It's all right. Who am I going to hire next? Who's my next big hire? What's the next big system that can help propel you know, our operating company. That's been the key to my success is that growing that opco, that management company and using that as the, the foundation and the infrastructure to grow a syndication firm out of that. And then using that syndication firm to get into the fund management business because of the, the track record we built there. So I'm, I'm sure there's cases out there, people skipping those steps uh, and, and, you know, more power to those who can. But for me, this was the journey. There were no shortcuts. Talk to me about the mindset behind the thought of reinvesting continuously into your organization, into your systems, into your people and in expanding your personnel. Talk to yeah. me about that mindset versus the, okay, we finally grew revenue to this point. So now like, you know, let me go take a three week vacation or let me go buy the, you know, the new automobile or let me do this, that, and the other. Talk to me about the difference there because I think a lot of people, you know, perhaps once they reach a certain level of success, it's like, okay, now it's, it's time to celebrate. It's time to reap the rewards. It's time to enjoy the fruits of these, this labor. It almost seems like you had just such a bigger vision that you weren't still comfortable continuing to chase that bigger vision. But talk to me about the mindset there. Gosh. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the fire's been in my belly a long time, so I'll, I'll do my best here. But for me, it's always been that big business vision, right? And, you know, I heard Warren Buffett or I read Warren Buffett's, you know, most recent letter. I think it was maybe the, the, the last, maybe Q4 of last year. And he said, you know, for Berkshire, even though he's in his nineties now and Munger's older, you know, he said, there is no finish line for Berkshire, right? This is a, this is an ongoing beautiful organism of people that will continue to deliver value for its stakeholders. And for me, that's the that's the mindset and the kind of company that I want to grow that that really outlives me. I want to be well thought of. It feels like it's it's part of my purpose to grow something that could make huge impact like this. And so that that's stuck with me for a long time. So it's 
it's made it an easier decision to delay my own gratification early on and continue to reinvest. Uh, you know, good for for you and me and, and other uh, people in this business is that I still get some liquidity events along the way when we execute a real estate sale, right? When we when we go uh, one lap around full circle on a deal, you know, I could take that and spend it all. I don't. I do like spending on on travel and experiences for my family, but to continue to compound that wealth now just seems common sense to me from my experience. Yeah, that, that concept of there is no finish line. I love applying that to your business and thinking about how can it be intergenerational beyond just yourself and leaving really a legacy and something that truly outlives you and it's creating impact without you. Because a lot of times I think we perhaps think too small when we think about our impact because it has to be directly correlated to our own direct efforts on a continual basis that is not sustainable it's obviously not sustainable in the long run and you know i was telling you this week was a, a huge reminder to me that life is short and you know when you think big like that you can make tremendous impact whether you are there or not and i think that that is an amazing calling card by the way the other thing too is there's no finish line for us personally either right you know we can continue to grow there's always another level well i want to go back to the the concept of fire ready aim because it really resonates with me <laughs> yeah. but i know that a lot of others you know Perhaps they're on the opposite end of that spectrum. It's like, wait a minute, we got to aim, we got to get ready, we got to think about all the steps, we got to consider all the alternatives. I mean, talk to me about that and how that has served you and how you've navigated with that concept in mind. Well, I, I think you need both. And, you know, big shout out to my business partner, Adam Arrett, yin to my yang, the peanut butter to my jelly sandwich. You know, I'm the visionary, he's the integrator. I'm the gas, he's the brake. You know, for the eight out of 10 ideas that aren't good, he's my BS barometer. So you need both. So I would I would tell people out there, hey, if you're not the fire ready aim guy, if you're more the operator side of it, you got to go find your visionary, go find your partner, right? And if, and if you're looking for a great partner, figure out how to be a great partner. Adam, if he were on his own, you know, instead of transacting 6,000 units, he might, might be at 1,000 over these last 10 years. And if I were on my own, it would have imploded years ago. So- there's very few people in this world that can that can be both. A lot of people think they can, but most shouldn't. And so by combining our strengths that are that are already, you know, we're born with to some degree, right? The gifts that we've been giving by combining those gifts, this the what what's the saying here? The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And so know thyself, right? You might be a fire ready aim guy like me. You're going to need a great operator if you want to grow a big business. That is a really good piece. You know, I, I just continually find how important self-awareness is, not only in just, you know, living a life of fulfillment, but also if you want to achieve, you know, greater levels of success, it's knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses and going deeper into your strengths and finding people to surround you with the weaknesses or, or overcoming the weaknesses that you have, right? And you're talking yeah, about- listen, you know, I've got a, I've got a marriage I've got to protect. I've got faith. I've got kids that I'm, that I'm trying to, to raise well, right? I want to be spiritually and, and physically fit. That doesn't leave a lot of time left, you know? And, and so most of my effort beyond that really goes to BAM. And I can make so much impact there, uh, but I can't work harder. I have passed the point at to which I can work any harder, passed that point a long time ago, right? So just like you said, now I've got to lean into what I do best. And I often will tell entrepreneurs this, I, I love talking with entrepreneurs and, and business owners. If you're at this stage where you're, if you're not having more fun, the bigger the company is getting, something is wrong. 
I love that. You know, one of the things you were talking about is you don't have any ability to work any harder now, right? And I think that this is a huge concept. It's such an important concept because some people, you know, as they continue to get more successful, it's just like, all right, well, we've got to just work longer. We've got to work harder. We've got to, you know, just by the grit of our teeth, we've just got to keep doing it. We've got to sacrifice all of these other things. But, you know, what I've recognized, and it sounds like what you've truly lived is that it is about working smarter and going deeper, being higher quality rather than more quantity. Could you talk a little bit more about what that has looked like and what it actually looks like for you today? Yeah, I mean, it's a little cliche, right? But it's it's a cliche for a reason because it's true. I'll go back to, I remember just qualifying for EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, one of the first peer groups I joined, which we don't get to it, you know, elevate, uh, elevate nation out there, peer groups, coaching, mentoring, rocket fuel. But- I just qualified for EO. I'm making barely a million dollars a year in my in my business. And that's that's revenue. That's not profit. And I'm working hard. I'm 50 pounds heavier than I am today. Um, I give myself maybe a C in marriage and, and maybe a C minus and in, in being a, a young dad, you know, a dad of a, I think I had a couple of babies by then. And and it, you know, I was just I was hitting a wall, right? And so I had to force myself again to say, you know, what's going on here? What what got me here is not gonna get me to where I'm going. Right. And so I had to really do a lot of internal accounting on where I was failing. Right. I was taking on too much. I let, I'd slipped and let myself, you know, just work all the time. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't working out, which was increasing my stress level. Right. So I'm, I'm not as fun to be around nights and weekends with, uh, with my young marriage and my little kids. And really it was just this period where I realized again, that what got me there won't get me where I needed to go. And I being in that peer group and then quickly realizing I needed an accountability coach. You know, there's a, there's a difference there between a peer group and having a, a cadence with a coach and, and getting somebody else in my corner, you know, saying, uh, you know, in a nice way, Hey dummy, We've been talking about this now for a, a few weeks. What little steps are you taking to, to rectify this situation? And so, okay, so let's get this, you know, what's this next step? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to post uh, this, this new job. I'm going to search out. A lot of it came down, uh, comes down to, to people. Um, you probably heard me say it before, maybe from stage or on another podcast, the people are more important than the real estate. Anybody can go buy a real estate deal and screw it up pretty quick. It's the it's the people in the organization, the culture, uh, the leadership, and and on down the the org chart that um, that really makes the difference. If I'm trying to grow an organization that can bloom and, and grow and survive without me, it's Tyler. It's almost like having a fourth kid, right? And it takes a lot of work to raise that kid, but over time you see it mature and you see it start making its own decisions. It still makes mistakes. And sometimes it's hard to let those mistakes happen because it costs the owner money, right? But through those mistakes come growth. Now, when you think about finding those right people, you know, if you were to look back, I mean, because you mentioned you found some golden geese, you know, some amazing individuals who are continuing to improve, they're continuing to find that there's no finish line for their own personal professional lifestyle and, you know, their own path, which obviously adds tremendous value to your organization. And they're creating impact through this organization as well. What is the difference or what have you found? What have been sort of big, some of the big aha moments that what got you there didn't get you here and you've made some pivots and some changes in terms of finding the right people? What would you sort of give your younger self advice on in terms of finding the right people for your team? Well, we, you know, there's, there's, 
again, it's for me, it's the fire ready aim. So not not trying to figure it all out ahead of, of, of doing it. You know, sometimes you just got to get get in the gym and, and try to figure it out. As we've grown, you know, a, a couple things early on that that's, have really paid off now. Um, I had this this wild, crazy idea. It's going to shock you. I can see you're sitting down. So that's that's good. What if we grew a management company? Where people wanted to work there. What if we had a maintenance a maintenance department where where maintenance folks were knocking on our door to work alongside us because of the way we treat them, the culture we build. And luckily, I had um, some people come in early on, uh, Jerry and Emily, that really took that baton and and ran with it. You know, I still don't know how I sold them on the dream sometimes, but luckily, I was I was in the zone that day, uh, and they believed in the vision. And those those folks have continued to grow with us and, and help execute that vision. Because again, I can't do it myself. I'm great at, at coming up with the idea and helping to set the course, but the the operations and the day to day technicalities, I need people around me that that also buy into that and can can support that part of the uh, of the formula as we've grown you know we, we've we've figured out our core values as a group they're not aspirational they're just they're who we are uh, we do a lot of work on hiring to those core values uh, my favorite one is when people grow bam grows and that's that's been uh, at the root of a lot of our success sure we've had to bring in some heavy hitters from outside but it's been so fun to watch so many people in this organization grow with us personality testing multiple interviews nowadays um, really Really being intentional upfront about who we let in here, weeding out the C and D players because A players don't want to be on the floor with B and C players, right? And uh, and being a little ruthless with that. So it sounds like to attract exceptional people, we need to focus on the word attract, right? We need to understand what sort of culture we are building and we are putting people in the position to build on our behalf, right? When you think about that culture, it starts with some of the vision, but then it comes down to how do you live? How do you work? How do you, you know, what is the reputation of your brand, right? You're, you're ready for another secret, not so secret? Absolutely. So on the property management side, it's a very low margin business. At best, you've got like the margins of a, of a restaurant, maybe 10%, 12% profit margin. What we've done at BAM is we take that 10 or 12%, instead of being miserly with it, we reinvest in our people. We do really good work around uh, corporate events, uh, site events. We bring in everybody from every site around around the Midwest for a big blowout Christmas party. Bring your plus one, we put you up in a nice hotel plate of dinner. It's almost like a expensive freaking wedding, right? And and we do a few other little things throughout the year. We, we take care of people. You know, we're another core value. We're a, a loyal, loving family. Now, sure, sometimes you got to kick family members out, but, you know, people that are loyal to us, we're loyal to them. And that's why we didn't have hiring problems in maintenance throughout, you know, throughout COVID and throughout this uh, this tight labor market it's because people want to work here. And it's it's very satisfying driving by an apartment community and we see it all the time. They got a sign out front, you know, now hiring maintenance. And uh, it just makes me smile that, that we don't have those issues. If you want to grow a big business, I feel like you've really got to take that seriously. And you've got to find the people that also take culture seriously. And, and you've just got to, you've got to live it. And now what's really fun, Tyler, is, you know, I get these stories, right? Where, hey, um, you know, so-and-so's son uh, died from an overdose at age 21. And we're picking up the funeral tab. And nobody comes to me and says, hey, can we do that? Because they already know what the core value is. They don't have to come to me for that decision. They already know what the right decision is. And it's just so, it's just such a warm feeling seeing that in action. 
That is really cool, you know, because some people may think, well, wait a minute, you know, you're, you're, you're letting go of the small margin there. It's like, it's such a small margin already. Why wouldn't you, you know, try to at least take some off the table, right? Because, you know, I can understand sort of that initial thought process, but what you've just described is the abundance mindset. Well, where's the real, where's the real wealth driven anyway in our business, right? right? It's, it's the, it's the value creation in the real estate, in the, in in the businesses we buy, the businesses just happen to be apartments, right? So I'm going to spend more money to make sure my management team from, you know, all the way up to the chief investment officer and everyone else at corporate all the way down to the person picking up trash at the site is well taken care of. It's again, when I look at it this way, it seems like the only way to do it. It seems common sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This is great stuff. When I think about attraction, I think about not only team in in sort of within the organization, but I also think of facing the marketplace. And, you know, another thing that you guys have been able to do over the years is build a brand with a powerful reputation in the marketplace, which is compounding in terms of new opportunities, obviously facing, you know, the wealth creation opportunities in terms of these real estate investments, which obviously you guys have been tremendously successful in raising $400 million of equity and acquiring 1.2 billion or so in real estate assets today. So talk to me about the components of building a powerful brand that has that type of reputation in the marketplace, not only to be successful from a an equity raising perspective, but also a deal sourcing and transactional perspective. Yeah, uh, I'm going to answer that one way. And if I if I miss what you want to hear, tell me, and I'll I'll try again. Yeah, it's really fun to see this now, and and our track records picked up so much momentum. It, it's just a blast now to see the type of uh, of investment we get. We our number two source of investment is referrals. Our number one source is repeat investors. Um, it 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 doesn't get built overnight, and it takes a lot of discipline on the front end. And it may not look like that to the outside world sometimes uh, because of our growth. You know, we're we're going to hit the Inc. five thousand for the sixth year in a row. But what I would stress out there to the 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 entrepreneurs and operators in your audience is that. I could be so much bigger than I am now if I just would relax my acquisition criteria, right? And I know groups out there that have done this where, you know, they've got some deals in the 20s and the 30s, but they've also got some deals that did an eight IRR or less, right? And they're bigger than me. But now I'm starting to come up against these guys and I'm, and I'm winning investors because although my track record might be smaller, uh, a billion versus maybe two or three billion, it's audited and it's it's stronger because we haven't done bad deals. Not saying we'll never do one. Uh, the fund solves for that a little bit because if one underperforms, the other, the other assets inside the fund can pull that up. Um, so it, it's an advantage to the investor in that sense. Uh, I would suggest reading what really great investors that have come before me have done. Of course, Warren and, and uh, Buffett and Munger, uh, Howard Marks is another great one. You know, I don't read these real estate books anymore. I'm reading how do these great investor investment organizations grow? How do the principals design them, design their lives to have that long track, track record of consistent outsized returns? And I, I love what Howard Marks says, great guy to follow, Oak Tree. You know, we can't, we can change a lot of things about what we buy. The one thing we can't change is what we pay for it. And in the second half of Warren's investment career, you know, he's gone from, you know, buying cheap assets for a cheap price to buying great assets for a fair price. And that's exactly what we look to do 
in apartments. We look for great assets that we can buy at a fair price where we've got a high conviction that we can create value, uh, mostly through better management, a little bit through physical improvements and a little bit through picking markets and trying to figure out you know, where the puck is headed from a market perspective. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out CF Capital. CF Capital is the premier boutique real estate investment firm in the Midwest and Southeast region of the United States. We are a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help passive investors maximize returns on high value multifamily communities. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people. We are in the business of elevating communities and raising the bar for everyone within our ecosystem. CF Capital is a real estate investment firm focused on the acquisition and operation of multifamily assets. We confidently deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow, and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. By investing alongside our team, investors can preserve and grow their wealth without having to deal with tenants, termites, or toilets. Investors come and stay for the outsized returns we create in our deals while appreciating the ancillary opportunity to make a bigger impact that only CF Capital can provide. If you're an investor and want to invest with us, here's how. Learn more about CF Capital at cfcapllc.com or by simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. We will see you on the inside of this powerful community. So let's elevate communities together. So it sounds like, and I was going to ask you, what are the patterns that you've observed for those other investment organizations that may or may not be related to real estate? And it sounds like perhaps a pattern, and I'd love to get your take on this, is value investing is the approach that is successful in the long term in terms of, okay, it's not about buying cheap, it's about acquiring value at perhaps, you know, an attractive basis. And that's going to put you in a position to be successful and obviously execution with your team with your resources and systems. But is that is that one of the big patterns that you've observed and, and applied? Big time. It's, it's anything but easy, but it's very simple. Most of these concepts are quite simple. And if you get enough reps in, it's 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 pretty simple to understand. It's just not easy to pull off, right? And a lot of a lot of folks take shortcuts or sacrifice or push the envelope. And right now we're seeing some of those folks um, and their and their investors, unfortunately, uh, get vaporized. What I've noticed about um, these larger investors that have had a long, long-standing track record track record of consistent returns is patience, discipline. Uh, Warren calls it standing at the plate, waiting for the ball to hit that strike zone. You know, it's, you don't get three strikes. You can sit there for a long time and wait for the right pitch. Uh, I noticed a lot of these investors don't have hobbies. They are all in on their work, right? They, they have lives, right? They, they have wives, they have kids, uh, but their passion in, in most cases is their work. When, when they're not working, they're reading a lot, reading a lot of information. That's some of the, 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 um, the commonalities I'm seeing as I, as I study the grades. I love that. I love that. And, you know, that resonates with me. And I know it resonates with a lot of our listeners is really just continuing to learn. There is no finish line like we talked about earlier. And, you know, your brain and your mind is one of the most powerful tools, if not the most powerful tool that you have. So you've got to continue to invest in that. 
And I want to talk about some of those things that you're doing to invest in your mind. But I also, you know, one of the pieces that you just talked about in some regards was designing a lifestyle because, you know, sometimes I feel like real estate entrepreneurs, we get caught up in this business. And to your point, you've got to have a certain level of passion that you're tremendously committed to it. You've got to be investing in yourself outside of when you're, you know, operating with your teammates and, you know, doing your thing. But talk to me about that lifestyle and, you know, because you've, you even shared with me before we started recording today, you've got a little bit of a report card that you utilize to focus on how you're designing your lifestyle. Talk to me about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, report card's pretty simple, you know, faith, uh, marriage, kids, spiritual, physical fitness, and, and of course, you know, the business. Uh, and that, I think I've got that pretty, pretty much in the right order. I'm not always saying I prioritize that in the right order, we all slip. But what I've found is if I focus on on these other things that are that are really what's what's ultimately important, right? It doesn't matter how much how many zeros in the bank, you know, by the time we we you know maybe leave this this existence, right? There's so many other things that matter. But if I if I focus on those, I focus on having a, a great business, great people, great returns to our investors, the money is the byproduct, right? And so it's having that deeper why. I've heard it said, if your why doesn't make you cry, it's not a good enough why. And in, in simple terms, you know, if you're going to the gym to get a six pack, you're likely going to give up when the going gets tough, right? But if you're going to the gym and if you're eating right, because you want to dance at your great granddaughter's wedding, then that's going to keep you going when maybe you wake up and you don't want to work out or you, or you don't, or you want to eat that, that fourth slice of pizza. You know, that's, that's, that's like my kryptonite. Um, so it's, it's having that deeper why I think I might've got off on a, on a tangent here about what you, uh, what you wanted to hear from me. So redirect me if you need to, but that's, that's my thoughts on a lot of that. No, not at all. I think it's, you know, keep what's most important, most important, but I love that concept of if your why doesn't make you cry, you should get another why. I mean, I've never <laughs> heard that before. I, I stole it from somebody else. Uh, I think it's the motiversity guy on YouTube. Okay. Uh, I usually work out to motiversity. Uh, I love it, gets, it. it gets me going in the morning. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty, well, I'm pretty sure that's his. So shout out to motiversity YouTube channel. Ultimately, it comes down to again, what is the purpose behind what you're doing right now? Rather, it's not just money, right? It should not be, in fact. And let's let money be the product byproduct of creating transformation for other people, transforming ourselves, and continuing to do that, right? Because there's no yeah. finish line. And yes, I'm flying around in a G5 all by myself and my, my wife's left me and my kids hate me, right? And and uh, and they're all spoiled brats. Then then what is all that money worth? Exactly, exactly. Talk to me about your favorite ways of investing in yourself because you, you just shared sort of the intentionality and the priorities in your life. Yeah. And I, I love that, just having the clarity of what's most important and you know, course correcting and reminding yourself of, hey, you know, we need to make an adjustment here because I haven't been treating what's most important and most important. So let me move in this direction, right? It's never perfect. But what, how do you, what are your favorite ways to invest in yourself, uh, you know, to continue to grow personally? So I just 
personally spend well over uh, six figures in coaching and and personal personal growth, as well as the peer groups I'm in. And it really, so I, I guess the, 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 the punchline is any area of my life where I need help, I have a coach and or a peer group. Faith, uh, business for sure. And I'm spending as much there on myself as executive coaching for my team, which has been rocket fuel to our growth, uh, but also personal coaching. Uh, my wife and I have what I call a marriage coach. Uh, because we're at a, a, a tough age with three little crazy kids that are going to be great humans one day uh, but right now can be can be pretty tough and they're also vastly different you know we have a, a child coach we just got to hang out with her for two weeks on spring break and we did all the spring break stuff as well but we made a we had a uh made it a dual trip, got some, got some work done with the kids. I've got a personal trainer that's, you know, at my house every morning going, come on, man, let's go uh, to keep me accountable there. Uh, so that's a lot of investment. You know, I know not everybody can do that, but I think early on getting in a, in a peer group, you know, I'm in some pretty cool networks now. And as we talked earlier, you know, what gets me here won't get me there. I am um, consistently working to be a little fish in a bigger pond. So left that EO group when I outgrew it, left that YPO group when I outgrew it, uh, in a new group now where uh, it's uncomfortable and can be intimidating being a, a, a little fish, right, in a big pond. But once you get through that initial maybe intimidation or reticence, um, the education, the learning you get from being around titans of your industry is irreplaceable, man. It, it is amazing. Yes. And I think it was um, Charlie Munger who talked about this in Poor Charlie's Almanac, but he talks yeah. about expanding. Uh, if you can uh, look over my, no, wait, I'm mirrored. There it is. <laughs> You have it up there. You got it on. Oh, right beautiful! Right One there, of man. the greatest reads. It is. Uh, it's. It's really just a lot of his talks over the years. And uh, audience, read this first uh, if you want to be a better investor. I don't know if you've seen this yet, Tyler, but it is. It's gold, man. It's Richer, like, wiser, happier by William Green. Yep, it's like awesome. uh, several short biographies of some of the greats. Uh, and the last one in the book is Munger, but Buffett's in there. Templeton, Manish Prabhai all these fund managers that have these long storied track records being interviewed about how they did what they did. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. We'll put a link in the show notes as where yeah. the listeners can but find I, I that. I interrupted book. you. What were you going to say about that? No, and we'll, I just wanted to comment on, you know, some of the thoughts that you were just sharing in terms of expanding your level of competency as well as your comfort zone. And Charlie Munger talks about that when you are in the edges of your competency, you know, that's where you should really be playing because if you want to expand the competency zone, you've got to push it. Right. You've got to surround yourself with other people who are going to give you the context and the tips. And you're also going to rub off on them. They're going to rub off on you. You're going to become more like them. But it sounds like that's kind of what you've been doing in so many regards over the many, yeah, over yeah. past gets, many years. It gets my motor running. I, I can't put anything else on it, a finger on it, except that it, it gets my motor running. So I, I feel like I'm doing what I was uh, designed to do, you know, and using my gifts is, is, as well as I can. And if I can, if I can 10 X this thing from here, then I can make 10 X the impact that I would, if I, if I hung it up now and gave half of it away and, and played golf or something, I think I'd probably die sooner if I did that. No question in my mind, you and I both, but you know, one thing I'd love to know, and this is almost kind of even from a higher level, you know, for you to get to where you've been, it's been about solving problems, 
right? It's been about finding solutions, getting creative, asking bigger questions. So I'd love to know where you are today. What is the biggest problem that you're solving now? Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's still going from founder to firm. That's the, uh, the exciting problem that I get to solve, right? It's how do I continue to build out a team that, that in many ways is better than I am. Right. And, and they can continue to do this at a high level. So that's why I'm, I'm reading up on these titans of, of investment uh, in all different disciplines, right? They're not all real estate guys. Most of them aren't. It's how did they build that organization? How did they find those, those people? It's tough. But it, it also gets my motor running and uh, it's a lot of fun and it's not always two steps forward. You know, it's not a straight line. It still revolves a lot around finding the right people. It's, hey, I could take this profit off the table now that the, you know, the fund management, the capital management side of the business is, is making real money. It lost money for the first couple of years because we hired, you know, ahead of the uh, the revenue, right? Because we knew we would get there. And it's it's also just incredibly exciting uh, to find these people that, that are coming in and, and, and others that are growing in the company. And that is the exciting problem is how do we continue to grow a firm that can do this thing really, really well at a higher level, at a higher scale. And it's it's quite a challenge. I think if the listeners did not recognize that the you just automatically went to it's an exciting problem. You know, it's an exciting problem because we can look at our problems in one or two ways of, you know, I'm the victim of this problem, right? I can't do this or this is, you know, blocking me or, you know, I'm just, oh my gosh, it's overwhelming or how exciting, how exciting of the problem for me to gain the rewards and the gifts of this challenge, because that's when I get smarter. That's when I get you know, that's when I give the, have the opportunity to pivot or change or adapt, right? Because what got me here isn't going to get me there. And I want to say, before I forget, it just, just popped in my head. I, I don't want to miss this. Finding time to think is incredibly important. I'm not always great at this and it's easy to slip back and, and grind, right? But finding the time to think, for, for example, uh, my wife knows not to bother me uh, when I'm in the shower. Sometimes I'll be in there for 20 or 30 minutes, just standing there, letting the water pour over me because I can't look at my phone. You know, it's a nice, relaxing environment, but sometimes I'm just in there thinking, right? Peace and quiet thinking. And she used to try to bother me. I'm like, honey, I'm getting some really good thinking in here. Please wait till I get out. You know, it's it's cool to hear that. And I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because we also employ EOS within our business. It sounds like you do as well. You were utilizing the terminology of vis visionary and integrator. And one of the tools within EOS that we hadn't start apply started applying until, uh, you know, a couple quarters ago was the concept of a clarity break taking some time away from the business and literally just writing and, you know, journaling and, you know, letting your stream of consciousness create clarity for you. And just giving us that space has allowed us to create tremendous breakthrough in our business. I love that you brought up EOS. We've used it for years now. At some point, you know, you get, you, you have to add things on or sort of modify yeah. it or bring in other systems in addition to it, because it, it is a great uh, way to level up maybe even several levels. Uh, and it's certainly busted through a, a plateau or two for us, even EOS, right? At, at, a, at, at some point in the future, what got you here, what got me here won't get me there. And you have to find other solutions as well. That's where we brought in, you know, some other ideas and some other systems. I love that. So what did the next three to five years hold? And this is, this is kind of multidimensional question because it's for you, your organization, but also within the marketplace. I mean, because we're obviously going through a period of 
transition, right? In terms of the business cycle. And, and I'm, and I'm understating drastically, obviously what's, what's occurring, but what do you see in terms of your outlook from here? Yes. Yeah, so the next five years, it's still a lot about hiring, hiring, hiring a lot of, uh, a lot of the right people and continue to, to reinvest in the organization and bringing in all stars from the outside and also continuing to grow the leaders and those up and coming leaders under them. That's really the simple, the simple answer. As I said earlier, continuing to do these things that we do, which are only really one or two things very, very well for our investors. From a market standpoint, I haven't been this excited since we locked down for COVID. Now, transaction volume is, is way down, but it's been a little bit easier to find an asset or two that makes sense. We're not seeing a lot of them because of transaction volume. And, you know, I've got to go find another Des Moines, Iowa. I bought 1,200 units there over the last two years. That's going to be a great trade for us. But I got to go find, I got to go see where the puck is headed next. So I got to go find more emerging markets. We all know what, what those are right? We got to see where the value is coming. We got to beat the institutions there because once once they buy, it becomes harder. I'm, I'm buying a deal in Indianapolis for the first time in two years. I'm super pumped about that. As you study the greats, you'll see that these, these periods of pessimism and uncertainty and lack of liquidity are where some of the best deals can be uh, can be found. And it's it's really freaking hard when the, when the money's hard and the deals are easy. Right. But we all wish we had bought more in 2009 and 10. But I'll never forget being at a cocktail party with my parents in 2010. What would that have made me? Maybe 29, 30. And somebody asking me what I was doing. And I just said real estate. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm like, <laughs> to myself, this is, I'm glad that, you know, people think it's a bad thing to invest in real estate. So there's opportunities in every market, Tyler, you and I both know this for those that are willing to, to, to take the discipline to, you know, keep turning over, over rocks and kissing toads. I think the Midwest is going to continue to, um, to emerge, right? Not everybody's moving to the Sun Belt. We're getting a lot of reshoring, these mega trends that are only starting to occur. There's lots of states where you've got uh, business friendly, landlord friendly climates, Indy, you know, Louisville, you've got lots of infrastructure coming through there, uh, serving a lot of a lot of the country. Will we expand out south uh, and, and west, Midwest? Absolutely. There's one thing that, that I know for sure, and that's people are still going to need housing. The demographics for the U.S. are the best in the world. Second best, I, I believe, is, is Mexico. So we're going to see a, you know more economic partnerships with Mexico and Canada. If you haven't heard it before, Fortress North America will, hear, will be here to stay for at least another 100 years. This continent has a lot going for it, and that's a whole nother podcast, but I, I won't get into it here. But yeah, very bullish. There's going to be some bumps in the road. Uh, I like bumps in the road. I like it because uh, I built this company to, to do hopefully even a little bit better when things don't go according to plan. And then just to circle back to the beginning, you know, I bought some of my best deals uh, right at the beginning of lockdown when people thought the world was going to fall apart and nobody was going to pay rent. And, you know, other competitors were factoring in negative rent growth and sitting on the sidelines. My partner and I raised our hand and said, uh, you know, we're calling bullshit on that theory. And we kept buying and it, it really paid off. Ivan, this conversation is so fun because there's optimism oozing from all of the words that you're sharing with me and in all aspects. And to your point, those bumps in the road, that's where opportunity exists. And I also love that you just planted that that tiny little seed of recognizing the demographics 
of the United States of North America. For folks who are looking at all of the pessimism, all of the negative headlines, recognize that there are some underlying factors that are a tidal wave in so many great aspects yeah. as we move and, forward. And audience, spoiler alert here. What do you think both sides of the aisle are going to do if we start having a population growth problem here in North America? We're going to open up the gates again. We're going to figure right. out immigration. We're going to population growth is good for everybody. We're going to figure out a way to let people in who, who we want to let in, right? Who, who, who want to come here for the American dream. There's so much tailwind. And, you know, I know we've quoted Buffett a lot here, but, and I don't want to sound cliche, but Warren Buffett said it best, never bet against the USA. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, Ivan, I love this conversation so much. And I feel like I could go for hours and hours and hours. I want to be respectful of your time. We can make this a Joe Rogan podcast. Hey, well, we got to get, you know, we got to get the bourbon out for that. So we'll do that uh, next time. We'll come down to Louisville and we'll have that conversation. But before I let you go, I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's Uh called the rare air questionnaire. I mean, what you've described today is a bit of an uncommon approach, unfortunately. Disclaimer here, Tyler did not give me these questions in advance. So, you know, I'll I'll do my best. Hey, you know what? I want to keep you on your toes because it's Friday and I think you're ready for this. So, oh yeah. And there's actually bourbon in my coffee. (laughs) <laughs> just, just kidding just good kidding. man good man it's only 10 o'clock here now we can tell why you're having such a great morning so with that said you know we've already been talking about some books but if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past two three years or so what would those be and why give me a category I mean, it can be personal, professional, anything that has really changed the way that you think. That's if, and this is maybe a selfish way to ask this question. The best books, in my opinion, are things that make me change the way that I think. And when I start to see things differently, yeah. new opportunities emerge. So yeah. what about you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I agree. You've got to keep an open, flexible mind. Um, that's a really important as an, as an investor. Gosh, there's, there's so many books to choose from. I mean, I could go, you know, gosh, I could go Good to Great and, and Turning the Flywheel, which is this little book um, nobody's ever heard of, but the Good to Great guy Collins wrote. Yeah, Jim Collins. Really got me, really got me, yeah, really got me thinking again about what BAM's flywheel is. Howard Marks, Mastering the Market Cycle. I think I brought that up. Uh, Ray Dalio's got some good stuff, although I don't agree with everything um, Ray says. I'm literally trying to picture my library at home and some of the books that have been most influenced me there i know it's always a little bit of a tough question because you're like me and you just you devour yeah i don't want to go to the easy stuff like the rich dad poor dad everybody says that one although that was impactful man merchants of debt that one you can't even get on audiobook that is about the rise of kkr giant private equity uh company out there that's a really great read about how they grew that business um that's a that's an interesting one and then i love economic uh financial history. There's a bunch of that out there. You know, this, this one again is my, my favorite one of, of late. That's richer, wiser, happier again. Yeah. I'm sure your whole audience has already read um, Traction that I never they read. Haven't, I never read it, it, but I stuck it under my integrator's nose. And he was like, yeah, I think we need to do this. And I'm like, perfect. Because every entrepreneur I was talking to was like, hey man, you heard Traction yet? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, I think that's all I got right now, man. Awesome, man. Well, you keep over delivering. I asked for two or three. We're going to disconnect here. I'm going to be like, oh, I forgot about that one. (laughs) Well, you know, read, 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 read 15 minutes a day at least. Absolutely. You know, that is that is a really good point. Sometimes we can let's lower the barrier. 
you know, whether it's 15 minutes or 10 pages, I mean, you know, there's no yeah. excuse. Just yeah, and stop it. reading real estate books. If you've already syndicated a couple of deals, read about great investors in any in any asset class, financial history, self-improvement, growing yep. an organization. Psychology. Stop looking at the shiny objects, right? Yes, 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 uh, yes. You know, if you're a business development guy like me and you're not the integrator, um, uh, there's some great sales books out there. Mm -hmm. I would still say Grant Cardone, if you're not first, you're last. If you're out there trying to raise money, you know, one investor at a time, that book is is got some really good, really good sales training in there. If I was still raising money personally, uh, which I did for years, I I I would listen to sales training in the car just to keep that muscle strong. I love that. I love that. Ivan, aside from what we've already talked about today, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Ooh, biggest way on a daily basis right now. Um, really, it's it it's and I'm not perfect at this by by far, but mastering my morning. You know, I, I kissing the kids goodbye to school, uh, getting some reading in. I'm a big fan of cold plunging at age 44. It's it's like instant Advil for for my body that seems to be a little more sore than it used to be. Uh, getting some quiet time and some breath work. I try to do um, reading and thinking in the office, keeping things off my calendar most of the time in the mornings. Although I I violated that for for Tyler everybody because I couldn't wait to do this. I, I find when I master my my morning uh, around mindfulness and mindset and, and giving myself time to read and think, uh, things tend to go better. And certainly physical activity to keep the stress level down for me is, is big. Couldn't agree more, my friend. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Oh, man, you know, now a lot of it is growing my fruit on other people's trees. And I'm not always the best at it. But I try to pour into others when I can. Uh, I love uh, mentoring uh, some people in my life, uh, not not for for pay, but literally just helping others. Uh, sometimes I find that if you're if you're stuck, go help somebody else and it seems to unstick things. And then my my executive coach now that that helps my team, she's been a, a fantastic extension of me in helping me develop my leadership team and coaching them and, and helping them on their path. She's she's a great extension of me and she gets a lot of credit for that. And uh, gosh, my my leadership team and um, and my partner, you know, all those guys uh, and gals are helping to grow their fruit on other people's trees. And that's how you uh, grow a business. Ivan, this has been so much fun. I just want to acknowledge you for your genuine care about investing in other people for your willingness to continue to ask big questions of yourself, of your organization, and showing what is possible when you have this abundance mindset and mentality of, you know what, what got me here isn't going to get me there. And how can I become greater? How can I reach further to this finish line that doesn't really exist? So, man, I just wanted to acknowledge you. There's there's only, you know, so much that I can really put into words here, but I think that you've, you've shed an amazing example today. So do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation? Well, first, thank you, man, because it takes two to tango and... I haven't done a podcast in a while because it got sort of repetitive and I, I knew this one wouldn't be, I knew we would, we would talk about deeper things that mean that are meaningful. And so we nailed it, dude. I have not been on a podcast. I enjoyed this much in a long time, except for Whitney, you and Whitney are, you know, one A and one B. He's also a fantastic interviewer. You guys just, uh, you make me look good. Both of you, uh, parting words of wisdom. Um, you know, there, there is no one important thing. Uh, Howard said it best. It's another good one here. The most important thing, he's got 15 or 16 most important things in here. 
these it's an amalgamation of things and guys so much of this was not uh anything but just little decisions made well uh on a consistent basis uh daily and uh, it doesn't happen overnight but before you know it you're looking back and you're like wow you know we've, we've come a long way in what others might call a short period of time trust the process right trust the process love it man trust and the process Absolutely. you know model success man because you don't have to do this alone you know there's so yeah. many others who have paved the way yeah man it's kaizen right it's it's continuous improvement just a little bit and and, and pushing that through the organization to everyone uh has made so much difference Ivan, tell the listeners where they can learn more about you and your company. Oh, man. Uh, my name is is correct down here. Google <laughs> Ivan Barrett, B-A-R-R-A-T-T, -T, or Band Capital. I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Outstanding. We will put links in the show notes as where the listeners can find Ivan and BAM Capital as well. Ivan, until next time, I have a feeling there's going to be part two of this conversation. I hope so, man. This is awesome. Thank you again for making time. I really appreciate it. Dude, the pleasure's mine, Tyler. Thank you. Elevate Nation, what a great conversation with Ivan Barrett. I really enjoyed that, and I hope that you can see that the higher-level concepts here are so applicable towards reverse engineering strategies and finding the right people to execute those strategies and to put them in a position to be successful with a vision with clarity on where things are going. And also just recognizing that there's no finish line personally, professionally within an organization, designing that culture, not only with your family, with yourself, understanding what's most important and executing on that. I think this is so valuable. And you know, this is a real individual who has done tremendous things in real estate and otherwise. So there's so much that you can model, so much success that has left so many clues here for you to apply today. So I wanna encourage you to re-listen to this podcast, this episode, this discussion, because there is so much gold. There's so much wisdom in this discussion that you can apply yourself. So I wanna encourage you to re-listen to the show. Repetition is the mother of all skill. Ultimately, I'd love, and I think it would be very helpful for you to identify your top three or one or two distinctions or takeaways from this episode. What were those? Jot those down. Maybe it was a book that you're going to read. Maybe it is a concept that you'd like to employ. Maybe it is perhaps a lifestyle report card that you'd like to integrate within your own approach, personally, professionally, and all of those beautiful things. But identify those top three distinctions and have a discussion with someone else about what was it that you learned? What were your big takeaways? What were your big ahas from this episode? And I think that's where the rubber starts to meet the road in terms of putting you in a position to take massive action on what you learned today. Make this investment in yourself, the time that you took to listen to this episode worthwhile by taking massive action. That's the biggest challenge or opportunity for you today is to apply what you learned. Until next time, Elevate Nation, I just wanna thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.